All right, so we're uh, we're in lesson number twenty-three, and this is uh, establishing God's righteousness, part two. Last week, I didn't know how far I would get, but obviously, I got about halfway. So um, we're going to finish this section tonight on uh, chapter three and verse twenty-five. If you have a Bible, I'm going to start reading there. So um, we can kind of follow the the flow. Yeah, I guess so. Verse twenty three. I guess I got to start there because it's half sentence. All right. So for all have sinned. So familiar. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith, apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So that's our section for tonight. And uh, we want to continue to build on the, uh, the idea as... Paul has started it here in chapter 3 on this righteousness that is ours because of faith. Now we read all the way back in chapter 1, verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith, right? The just shall live by faith. Righteous and just, basically the same words, uh, just carrying a little bit of different emphasis. So when you see just, justified, righteous, righteousness. Uh, They're all pretty much the same word. They come from the same Greek root. They're just expressing a different way of of, um, addressing it. And for the most part, justification has to do with a legal system, like a legal court of law. And so uh, the decision of being justified by a legal court means that there is no guilt Um, you have been brought back into a place of right standing with society or with the law or whatever. With God, it's we have been justified, brought back into a place of right standing with him, a place of righteousness. So the, the, the opening statement I make here in your notes is God is just and the justifier. There it is. That's, that's pretty much a summation of what we're going to read 
going all the way through chapter 5. Because this, this whole context is really um, just moves one thing to another. Uh, chapter 4, as we'll be getting to it, is this incredible example that, that he gives first David and then Abraham and the great uh, their chapter concerning Abraham and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So this idea of justification, um, I put some points down there in your notes because sometimes we miss things, you know, with, with words we read them, we know them, but we don't really know what they're saying or know what they're talking about. And so uh, I've heard, and I'm sure you have heard, justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Mm, No, because that doesn't say anything about what God did to make you justified. So justification can only come because God did something else with your sin. And he did something else with your guilt. And it's not just as if you'd never sinned, it's you did. But God did something with it, and now he has made you, declared you, just or righteous. So, when we look at this word, justification is an act of God. It's not something you do. It's an act that God does, and he declares us just or righteous, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. You believed in Jesus Christ and God declared you righteous. Declared you just. It's been brought into a right position. So, the idea of justification um, is an act. It's not a process. You are once made just. You are once and for all justified. Justification is a one-time act that God does on your behalf. It is not a process of something that you do. It's like, well, I had justification, now I don't. Or I'm growing in my justification. No, you don't grow in justification. It's not that one person needs more justification than another person needs justification. It doesn't matter the degree of your sin. God's not looking at the degree of your sin. He's looking at your faith. And he looks at your faith, and then he looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's it. And you are justified. So this is something that God has done. Justification is freely given. And it's, it's received by grace. And it's, we talked about this last week. It's that multiplication of words. It's a free gift of grace. And, and I know, that's like a free gift of freedom. A free gift of free. Um, it, it's... It's more than really what we can say with words. So it's a free gift, meaning that it costs you nothing and it is not dependent on your relationship or anything that you do or anything you did. But then grace kind of says the same thing. 
and grace is God's divine power granted to you to make up for what you don't have. Grace makes up for what you don't have. You say, well, you know, some people need more grace or more justification. No, they don't. Because whatever you have doesn't come close to meeting the standards of God. Well, I'm not a murderer. You know, I didn't I didn't do that. Doesn't matter. Did you ever lie? I wasn't asking for confessions, but babies lie. Did you touch that? No. Yeah. Favorite word. So, you know, that, that whole thing that's wrong inside of us, grace takes that out of the way. So grace removes any of your merit and overwhelms your demerit so that there's nothing of you that is uh, is counting in grace. It's all Him. Now, we'll talk more about that, especially in chapter 4 and into chapter 5, more about grace. Another important thing about justification is it is God who does this, and he declares us righteous based on all you did was believed. And God declares you. It's In one way, it's not that he makes you. It's not that he re, recreates you righteous. I know you're recreated in God's image and likeness. But the justification has already taken place. You are made, declared just simply by a word from God. And therefore, this is something that God does, and it is instantaneous. Now, there's a sometimes people get confused between justification and sanctification. Justification, and we'll talk more about these as we progress. Justification has to do with your relationship with God. That that is the whatever stood between you and God, which is three-letter word called sin. sin. All right, so whatever stood between you and God is gone, and so whatever was there is gone now. Now, yeah, it cost God a lot to do that. It cost Him the blood of His Son, but He was pleased to do it, and that just overwhelms our mind. It pleased him to crush his son for you. That is just, why? Because you needed it, and God wanted you to have it. That's just as simple as that. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a process. Whereas justification is a one-time act, sanctification is a growing process. Yes, you are made holy inwardly. Your spirit man is recreated in the image and likeness of God. Again, things we'll talk about. And there is a holiness that's on the inside of you. Paul says, recreated in his image and likeness in righteousness and true holiness. So there is a true holiness that's on the inside of you. As far as this outward 
part of you goes, yeah, we're working on that. And this thing that sits between our ears, yeah, <laughs> we're working on that too. We're working on our thinking, we're working on our, our thought processes, our desires, our interests, uh, the things that pull us, the the temptations that we have, all that stuff, and we're also ruling over this this body as we grow here. But we are holy on the inside. But sanctification is that process. And again, this is something that we will cover as we get to Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so there is more about sanctification in those chapters. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that. And like I've said before, but don't stop, please. When you're saying that verse to people, don't stop there. For all have sinned. God didn't put the verses in there. Paul didn't write the verses in there. Those were written in there in, in about somewhere around the late 1400s to early 1500s. They put the verses in. And so they just decided, hey, this is a good place for a verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. There's that <laughs> grace as a free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I got interested in this today. This is just one of Jeff's rabbit trails. I thought, you know, there's so much righteous righteousness, just, justification, justified, faith, believe. So... I looked up, I counted in chapter 3, 4, and 5. The words righteous and righteousness are found 25 times in those three chapters. Uh, by the way, that's 68 verses, if you're counting. But that's man's verses. I didn't count the sentences. There's probably, knowing Paul, seven sentences. But... <laughs> but um, so righteous righteousness 25 times in 68 verses. Wow. Just, justified, and justification 14 times. Faith and belief 29 times. So what do you think the subject of these three chapters is? Uh, wow, doesn't take a... a nuclear physicists to figure this out, right? The overshadowing subject of this passage is justification and righteousness through faith. And that this is what God wants to do for us. Justification is what he does. Righteousness is what you stand in. You've been brought back into that relationship. And how? Through faith. Because you believed. Faith a noun, believe a verb. So then we go with the rest of verse 25. And it says, this was to show. God did this to show. So I kind of skipped over that part about propitiation and those things. as We talked about that last week. But the, the last half, third actually, the last third of verse uh, 25 says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins 
All right, so here we go into kind of a, it's like, what by his forbearance he passed over. So two words in there that are significant for our understanding. This is not our righteousness. This is something God has done. This is not my activity. This is his. So go to the top of your uh, page two, and it says this, this word, forbearance. So we got forbearance and passed over. Well, it sounds like God just, you know, he kind of ignored it. No, neither one of these words means to ignore. Neither one of these words means that God just said, ah, it doesn't matter. Uh, God didn't just write it off. These words are significant in the understanding. And so the first word, because in his divine forbearance, the Greek word anoke, uh, to mean means a pause or a temporary delay or get this one a suspension of something until a determined time now there's all kinds of ways that the Greeks use this but the word is only used a few times in the New Testament and it always has to do with God's dealing with our past with our past but not just our past this is the past of all mankind so he's not just here talking about you. He's talking about all mankind, including who? The Jews. Because that's the big controversy here in these chapters is the Jews and the Gentiles. Or I just say the Jews and the rest of us. All right. So so this is this is God making a pause. Was sin evil? Yeah. And so we can see a few examples in the Old Testament of when there was sin and there was judgment. Sin, judgment. Whoa. Not a chance. Not a chance to catch your breath. Not a chance to say anything. Sin, judgment. Well, that's not fair. Yes, it is. Because God is absolutely holy and you were not. Okay, not you. Someone was not. So if God instantly judged sin, so be it. And it doesn't change the fact that he didn't do that every time. How many are glad that God did not judge sin every time you committed one? Yeah. Me, yeah. Because then you'd only get one chance. So, this idea of forbearance means, it doesn't mean that God ignored it. It means that God paused in his judgment. It's like, you think of it this way, judgment's on the way, pause. Yeah, I like to watch sports programs, NASCAR, football, basketball, college basketball. Um, commercial starts paused so I can skip over the commercials. Now, Super Bowl, what? Everybody watches the commercials. So, so but we make a pause. 
So here's something is on the way, but there's pause. Judgment was coming from God. Pause. That's this Greek word, forbearance. Because, see, there's another word that's close to this that we've already talked about, and it's the word long-suffering. And long-suffering is a different Greek word. Long-suffering means God puts up with it. But this has to do with the judgment that's coming. So one is God's long-suffering. That's, that's a characteristic of His. That's part of His nature. He is long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, that you wrote that into your character. <laughs> because I need a long-suffering God. I need a God who will put up with a lot. Right? He puts up with a lot. It's also a quality of the Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Yeah, so don't just be thankful that God is long-suffering. You need to be long-suffering. All right, I'll just move on from there. But So long-suffering is putting up with something, with... God, so did God put up with man's sin for a long time? Yeah. And then sometimes he, he stopped, right, for a while. And then came the flood, and God said, I can't. This is, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done. That's it. And I'm going to wipe out everyone and start over. Right? So, and since he did, he almost did that at Mount Sinai when Moses went up on the mountain and got the tables and, and, while he's up there chiseling away at his tablet, I don't know what he did, but um, downloading actually. So he's getting this this law of the commandments. God says, "What's that noise I hear?" And now, how do you, you know if God asks a question? He already knows the answer. Adam, where are you? Well, yeah, your parents. You know, it's like, what are you doing? They already know whatever you're doing isn't right. So, but so this long suffering says, I know what you're doing, but I'm not going to judge you. Moses stepped in. He did that two or three more times <laughs> throughout the book of Numbers and Exodus, and he stepped in to keep the judgment of God from falling. And God said, All right. Would it have been right for God to judge it? Yeah. yeah. You broke a parent's rule, would it have been right for them to punish you? Mm-hmm. Yes. But just because they didn't, didn't, didn't mean that you can get away with it. Right. Oh, no punishment for that. Just do that again. Now, if that's the way it goes, you're going to have trouble on your hands. And that trouble was named Jeff. Some places. But anyway, so that's long suffering. But this word forbearance and okay. And it means I'm gonna pause. My judgment is coming, but I paused. And I suspending my action till a determined time. And that's always wrapped up into this word. And okay, forbearance. There is an appointed time. 
And it will come. Just not happening now. So the two do, do work together, long-suffering and forbearance. But then we come to this next word. So it says, the first part of the sentence, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. So there's forbearance, and then there's passing over. And it's like, isn't that the same thing? No. No, it's not the same thing at all. He had passed over the former sins. And this is a very unique word. And I I read this in a couple of my commentaries, and I thought, I don't even know what that word means. So the, the word is pretermission. It's like, what? Pretermission. And actually, the Latin is spelled with an A-E, P-R-A-E. And it's like, we don't write words like that, so please stop. Pretermission. But it's not remission. See, it comes from that same root as remission. But in remission, you remove something. All right? So your sins are remitted. Right? So something is removed. You remit a payment to the bank, money is removed from your account. Right? So there is a remission. It's, it's removed. Pretermission does not mean that it is removed. It's just not dealt with right now. It's going to be. And this kind of goes back to my, my Greek word, orge, which is pending doom. Your father's coming home. Just wait in your bedroom. That's... It's coming. It's going to be dealt with. Just not right now. So it, it's very close to the word anoke, but it's not the same. Whereas anoke means God paused. In this one, God says, I'm, I'm going to deal with this, just not right now. Well, how long are you going to wait? I don't know. A while. How many know that sometimes waiting on judgment is worse? Can we just get this over with? You know, the the suffering of waiting. And so, you know, a prisoner is put in prison and there's going to be an execution, but there's the waiting and the waiting and the waiting. And, you know, you can argue two sides of that, but that would be a horrible thing. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And that's really the idea behind this word. So forbearance, in the sense God paused his action, but there's also a determined time. And in pretermission, or another word that you could use for this, it's hard to find a, a, a word uh, that really relates to this word, um, but you could use the word to suspend. So it's just been suspended. And that it is coming. It's just not going to be dealt with right now. But what that does, and we saw this already back into chapter 2, 
what that does is, well, if it's not dealt with, then what? Maybe it's okay. If God's not going to deal with it, then I'll do it again. Right? I know. None of you ever had that in your past. But we know some friends that were like that. It's like, well, if you're not going to deal with it, then I'm going to do it again. And maybe I'll push, I'll push the limits. Brother, sister sitting in the back seat of the car. There's a dividing line between them. How close can I get to being on their side of the line? You just, you just push. You push. Right? And so that's what man did. And so what God was doing so that he could show his mercy and his long suffering, as we talked about, was so that we would realize, you know, I need to live a different way. I need to make God stop withholding his judgment. <laughs> I need to start living a different way. But what happens is we push that boundary until there is no, there's no limit that we won't push. But if, if it was that bad, why hasn't God judged me? You know, God's, will he judge me at all? So, you know, from this we go back to, you know, the story with Adam and Eve. And they, God told them not to eat the fruit. Well, actually, God told Adam. What Adam told Eve seems to not be the same thing. Because Eve said, we're not to touch it. Go back and read. God didn't say you can't touch it. He said you can't eat it. And he said, Adam, you can't eat it. And so there's this little trial. Of course, Lucifer was behind all of that. And it was like, well, she touched it. And what? Nothing happened. Well, see, God lied. You could do that and God didn't judge you. You could do that. And everything's still okay. And so then she took a bite. Whatever it was. Nothing happened. And she gave it to her husband. And he touched it. And nothing happened. And then he took a bite. And all hell broke loose. (laughs) They died. Inwardly. And ultimately, 939 years later, they died physically. So there was something that changed. Instantly it changed. And as we're going to read in Romans chapter 5, it was when Adam did that, all of humanity died. Because all of humanity was in Adam. And so everyone born from Adam was born separated from God. And that was what God said would happen. And ultimately, separation would lead to physical and potentially eternal death. Depending on what you do with this life that you've been given. Oh, I got 
I don't have just 80 years. I don't have just 120 years. I got 939 years to live my life the way I want. Adam, no, <laughs> because unless you change in that 939 years, you're going to find eternity a whole lot worse. And so the, the delay that God has, the suspension of this judgment is for us to change our minds, to change who we are, to change the way we think. That's why it's there. It's not there to say, well, I guess <laughs> this must be okay. I guess God doesn't care. It doesn't seem to be. But then you look around and it seems like other people don't get away with what you get away with. Or it seems to be they get away with what you don't. Isn't that, isn't that the way we always look at it? What about them? You know, that was, I never said that to my mom and dad or I would have died on the spot. But I thought it. So... In this passage, what's happening here? This is a, a suspension of judgment. Why? For a what? Determined time. The judgment's been suspended till the answer comes. Till the Redeemer shows up. And just because it's suspended doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter anymore. No, it does matter. And then some people got the idea, Pharisees, that, well, I'm going to do everything that's right, and, and then God has to accept me. No, you're still on the wrong side of the ledger. Because you still need a Redeemer. Oh, I can do this life without a Redeemer. No, you can't. And you're going to have to accept this Redeemer. And you're going to have to believe. Because you can't do the law enough, perfectly, to live. The wages of sin is death. Not suspension. Not delay. Not long-suffering. That might be in there. The wages of sin, there may be delay, there may be suspension, there may be long-suffering. But the wages of sin is death. It will come. What are you going to do with this space that God has given you? What are you going to do about it? You go back to Psalm 90, the, the beautiful psalm written by Moses during the wilderness. And he said, you know, he's like, what is man? You know, we, David has the same question, and Moses comes to that same thing. It's just like our days, our days are lived down here in toil. Um, there's, there's hard work, there's labor, whatever. You know, 70 years, maybe 80, by a reason of strength that you might make 80, but doesn't matter. We're soon caught a, cut off, and we fly away. Oh, glory, we fly away. Right, so Moses wrote that, wrote the song and the melody. No, but uh, but you keep reading. Don't stop with that passage in Psalm ninety. Read on. He said, "So teach us 
What did you say? Teach us to number our days. All our days are lived here. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to think about our life. What it will be. And so we have this space of time. Yeah. I got away with it. No, you didn't get away with it. It's just paused. Suspended. God's putting up with it. But it will fall. But there was also a determined time for something else. There's not just a determined time for God's judgment. There was a determined time for something else. In the fullness of time, what? God sent forth His Son. In the fullness of time. So God had an answer. And the delay, suspension, long-suffering was so that he could manipulate his plan and bring about in his time the Redeemer. And he did. And so all of this is God working the scene. You know, I've said this before, and I know it's hard on some people, but God is sovereign. He gets what he wants. And he set up the plans... And he set up the way it will work. Now, what's unfortunate is as soon as I mention the word sovereign, people say, well, no, I had a choice in salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. Sovereignty doesn't limit itself to you having a choice in salvation. You did. Why? Because God's sovereign and he gave you that choice. His sovereignty could have said, nope, I'll make the choice. Thank you, God. He didn't. So in God's sovereign power, authority, position, however you want to say it, God said, you know what, I'm going to make it a matter of faith. How many times did I say faith occurs in this passage? 29 times faith just in three chapters. Why? Because it's a matter of faith, which means that's in your hands, not God's. Nowhere in here does it have anything to do with God making the choice. But God made the choice. That you could be saved, how? By His grace, through your faith. That's God's sovereignty. And in His sovereignty, He held off His judgment until His Son could come. So that He could do what? Put all of our sin upon his son. Every sin committed from Adam to the cross. Every sin from the cross till Jesus returned. All of it poured onto his son. We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 5. So in all of this, who's, who's this all about? It's going down. About the middle of your page, it says, and it was all of this was to do. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. And I put the phrase in there. It was to, it was to, or so that he could show. It was so that God could show 
his righteousness in the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. It's not you that gets to be just. You're only just because he what? Declared it. He pronounced it. You're only just, you're only righteous because he made you righteous in his son. You're not righteous because you did something. You're righteous. What did you did? Bad language, but you did what? You believed. That's, that's it. That's all you get. And there's nothing in there that you can boast about. So that this is all about God's righteousness. Look, I put those four verses. Here in four verses, just in this one little, basically one little paragraph. Actually, I think it's about two sentences. But in all of this, it says, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest. Verse 22, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time. Over and over, it's God's righteousness, God's righteousness, God's righteousness. It's not about you. And we talk so much about our righteousness, but my righteousness is not mine. It's His. If I'm not in Christ, I'm not righteous. My righteousness, because I am in Christ, I believed, and God placed me in Christ. And it's His righteousness that is now being uh, identified in me. So God looks at me, He sees His Son's righteousness. So this four-fold repetition of the righteousness of God is a declaration. It's all about Him. But the Jews specifically are the kind of antagonist that Paul's writing here to and he's dealing with. And so his opponent here is pretty much Jewish, self-righteous, uh, boastful. It's, 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 but it's not you. It's not about how, how many leaves you had you know, on your mint plant and that you tithed you know, the proper ones, you know, or that you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And like I told the story that uh, Jesus of the the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple and the Pharisees say, I'm not, thank God I'm not like that man, a sinner, tax collector. But the tax collector was on his face before God. God be my mercy seat because there is nothing nothing between me and your judgment uh, holiness your absolute righteousness there's nothing between me except the blood of the mercy seat be my mercy seat and that man went to his home what? justified Justified. God wrote it down made a declaration and so going down to the bottom of your page too and it says and, and God did all this it was so that he could show his righteousness at the present time and so that he might be 
just. This is for God to act justly. Again, this is not referring to his character uh, of, of righteousness. Yes, of course, God is righteous, but it's talking about his actions, his actions that he could act in this way. He could be just in his actions. And this is going to make a, make a big difference because God has to be just in his actions, doesn't he? So if you sin, you die. Isn't that, isn't that God's law? You sin, the wages of sin is death. So you sin, you die. God has to act justly. You have to die. Unless. Unless you're in Christ. And then he dies and you don't. Wow. That's God acting justly. He didn't. He didn't pass it off. He didn't ignore it. He didn't say, well, I changed my mind. It's okay now. You know, what wasn't okay is okay now. You know, we, we rewrote the law. God didn't rewrite the law. <laughs> rewrite. Rewrite. Got all my R's in there. Rewrite the law. He didn't rewrite the law. He didn't ignore the law. He has to act justly. Somebody has to die. All right. For, you know, thousands of years, I'll let a lamb die for you. And I'll just move your sin from the lamb to the cross. And I'll move your sin from the lamb to the cross. From the lamb to the cross. You kill, you spill the blood. It's not your blood, but I'll accept it. The lamb to the cross. But now you better do something about that cross. Because if God moved your sin from the lamb to the cross, then you better have something in that cross. And so we believe in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are crucified with Christ. That's me. That's, that's me on that cross. That's me. Yeah, I know. I didn't feel the pain. Jesus did. But that's me. And that's my identity. And so this is that God could ask Jesse. He had to do the right thing. I, I almost hate to use that phrase, but God had to do the right thing about your sin. Something has to die. And it's either me or a substitute. And God told them all the way from the beginning there'd be a substitute. Go to the top of your next page. And it says that God not only is just, but he's also the justifier. He alone is the one that's dealing with this sin. He alone. No one else. God's going to do it. And who's he doing it for? He is the justifier What's it say in the last phrase? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's the justifier, the one who has faith. What if you don't have faith? See, that's that cross I was talking about. He moved your sin to the cross. If you don't deal with the cross, the man who's hanging on that cross, you're going to have a big problem. So you better die with that one on the cross. 
then die in your own. So, he moved their sins. To the one who has faith in Jesus. In the Old Testament, did they have faith in Jesus? They had faith in the Redeemer. They didn't know his name. Later, they called him the kinsman. They called him Redeemer. They called him the promised one. The seed. They called him Manuel. But they didn't know the name Jesus. But they believed that there was someone who was coming. All the way back to Job. I know that my what? Redeemer Redeemer lives. (laughs) I know my Redeemer lives. And he's not just the Redeemer. He's my Redeemer. So Job believed that all the way back then. So to the one who has faith in Jesus, the Redeemer. And for us, it's not just what he would do, it's what he has done. Because now the cross is behind us. So now you still got to deal with the cross. But now you're dealing with the cross that's already taken place. What are you going to do with Jesus? What do you do with him? You can ridicule him. You can use his name in your curses. You can do this. You can do that. You can reject him. You can say he's just a man. You can try to humanify him, humanize him. Is that right? Humanize? Whatever. Okay, I just made it up. But anyway, you can tr- you can try to do what you want to do, but ultimately you're going to deal with Jesus. Because when you get to the book of Revelation and the great white throne, either you've believed in Jesus and your name is written in the book of life, or you didn't, and it's not, and you will be in hell forever. That's just what it says. So now Paul sums it up in this this last statement, and this is just kind of a rolling, he's just throwing these questions out, and and so I'm going to just kind of read through this. Romans chapter 3, verse 17, says, So then what becomes of our boasting? As as if he's putting himself in, in the mind of this opponent, this Jewish legalist. What becomes of our boasting? Paul's response, it's excluded. Well, by what kind of law? By law of works? In other words, because I did something? So this this law, this boasting is removed because I did the right thing? It's my my works? And that's the implication there. By a law of works, I did I did the right thing? No, by a law of faith. Well, well, wait a minute. That's not fair. I did all this stuff. And you're saying that person just believed and they get saved the same way as me? No. You get saved the same way as them. No, they don't they don't get saved the same way. You 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 think your salvation is in your works. But it's not. You're going to have to get saved the same way they did. And so it has to be by faith, by a law of faith. For we hold, look at verse 28, 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Well, that's not fair. I did all this stuff. I, do you know, do you know how hard it is to smell bacon cooking and you can't eat it? Because if you do, you'll go to hell. I smelled that and I denied it. Never, never a touch of bacon touched these lips. Never. Well, good. I'm glad because it's more for me. (laughs) Justified by faith apart from the law. I did all that stuff and it didn't get me anything. No, it didn't get you anything. Didn't even get you any bacon, yeah. (laughs) Now notice what he says next. Or is God the God of the Jews only? You see, here's here's where we've got to see the, the, the contrast, almost sarcasm that Paul is using here. Is God the God of the Jews only? In other words, you think you're saved by your works, but only the Jews had the law. So is God the God of the Jews only so, because they're the only ones that can live by the law and be saved? I'm a Gentile. I can't, I can't live by the law. Even if a Gentile kept all the things in the law, he couldn't be saved. Because he hadn't gone through all the covenants and done all the things. He, he, you couldn't be. You, you had to become a Jew in order to be saved. Because salvation was only for the Jews, and only the law was written for them. So is God the God of the Jews only? Are they the only ones that get to be saved because they're the only ones that can work? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles. Since God is one. God's not divided. There's not two ways. The Jewish way the Gentile way, the law way, the grace way. No, there isn't. There is no law way. It's gone. There is no access to God through the law. Only by grace. So Paul, quote, the greatest of the Jews, needed to come to grace and find salvation in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since God is, he's not divided. God is one who will justify the circumcision by their faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Two different words, two implications. By faith. The Jews have to recognize that their law could not save them and they come to God by faith. By faith in Jesus as their Redeemer. As the one who fulfilled everything that the law demanded. They come to salvation by faith. 
in this one who's been in their law, whose, whose name has been written in their law, who is every portrayal of every sacrifice that they've ever made, who is the furniture, the building, the priesthood, the clothing, everything about the temple, everything in the redemptive order. He is their Redeemer. And they come by faith in their Redeemer. Because they see Him there. But then the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, come how? Through faith. And the word through faith is almost, is, is almost like passing through a door. The, the, the Jews come by faith, in a sense, it, the idea of that is, is out of their faith, out of their faith as a source. They come by faith, faith as a source in, in what the law had said, the pictures had said, the portrayals had said, the words had said. How did Jesus say it? Um, it's in John chapter 5. And Jesus made the statement. He says, you, you read these scriptures, you read everything, but you don't see me. You miss me. You're so intent on looking at the words that you miss me. And, I, and in me are the words of eternal life. Not in what you eat or don't eat. But then the Gentiles come through faith. And the, the idea of it's, it's faith is an entrance. It's like a door that you pass through. Probably because the Gentiles were shut out. You could go to the temple and there was a wall called separation of the Gentiles. You had the court of the Gentiles, court of the women. And then you had the, oh yeah, good, good righteous Jews get to live in this inner part. But you get to pass through the door. What you were separated from is now taken away. The Gentiles come through faith. The Jews, by faith. And it's just a manipulation of words that Paul's using here. Don't form a whole theology of this because Ephesians chapter 2 says, by faith we're saved, and there he uses the word by. So, okay, I could see some of your minds were already running into, well, is that always? No, he's just making it as an analogy here that there is a difference because the Jews come by following everything that their law said. Paul says in Galatians that the law was there as a tutor to lead us to Christ. who's our master teacher. who's our guardian leading us to Christ. That's the Jews. But the Gentiles, they come like, God just opened up a door and said, come on in. And we just walk in. Well, what about all that law stuff that we've kept? Good for you. And I hope that the law has led you to Christ. Because the absence of the law led me to Christ. See, I didn't come because of the law. I came because a gospel was preached. And so he's just making that analogy. And so we have this access by faith. Final verse, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? 
are we are we overthrowing the law? Are we causing, saying that the law is useless, that the law doesn't work, that the law was wrong? No. The law is good. It's holy. It's pure. It's just that you can't do it. No one could do it. So are we nullifying, are we overthrowing the law by this faith? By no means. Actually, we're doing what? We're upholding it. And the word uphold comes from the same phrase where it says Abraham fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law as as a means of righteousness. Abraham didn't fulfill the law because... Tell me why. Why didn't Abraham fulfill the law? Hadn't been written yet. (laughs) So there was no law. He was under promise. So Abraham did everything that the law required to find a Redeemer. He put his faith in the Redeemer that God had offered, the blood of the Lamb. And that's really all the law was meant to do. Make you look at the Lamb. The blood. Because that is the cross whereby we are saved. Alright, so in this chapter 3 then he is pretty much dealt with some of the background of the Jews. Now, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he's going to deal with the actual stories that sub, that, that substantiate, that, that uh, stand as a foundation, the support, that's the word I was looking for, that support what he's been saying, that our, sal- our, gra- our salvation is by grace through faith. All right? So, that's your lesson for tonight.